from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. So this morning, continuing in John chapter 4. I think this is our third week. We will be in there, uh, or this is our fourth week, I'm not sure now. Even I have lost track. I know we'll be here today and then next Sunday as well. If you remember, I said that it was we could group the past three Sundays around W, right? Last week was water. This week is worship. Next week is witness. Worship. What a word, right? What, what comes to your mind when you hear the word worship? I am going to guess that most of you, when you hear worship, you immediately go to music, right? Funny story happened this morning as it uh, uh, has to do with music and worship. Anne comes over here and hits a piano key. And she comes over here and hits a piano key, and she looks at me and she goes, do those sound the same to you? Sure, Anne. To which Terry comes to my defense, and she comes up here and helps, and I think it was a D-flat, and, and they get it, and it sounds the same. And then Ned, chairman of Deacons, goes, well, you should know flat. I'm like, thanks, Ned. Appreciate that. Right? Yeah, really. I said the same thing, Sue. Oh, jeez. But right, we, 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 we hear worship. We, we thank music. And, and by and large, that's the church's fault. The, the church did that, right? Because we moved from having choir directors to worship leaders. And when you make that transition from choir director to worship leader, and the worship leader is the one that gets up and sings the songs, you go worship equals song. All right? Worship is not just singing. Singing is a part of worship. Okay? If I mention to you worship, you may think of a time and a location. Well, I worship Sunday mornings, 11 o'clock, at Red Bank. And hopefully... I will worship until about 12 o'clock, 12-ish probably today. All right, we, we, we think of it as a specific time when we are gathered corporately to worship, and, and we're supposed to, all right? That, that, that is a true aspect, but that's not all of what worship is. In fact, when we come to this passage in scripture jesus is is going to talk about authentic worship and he's going to describe it with two words that we don't usually think of immediately when asked about worship we're not going to, i wouldn't say this morning that you've never thought about it i'm just saying it's not the first few words that we think about because he's going to direct us that and tell us that authentic worship is Worship in spirit and in truth as a response to our salvation. That we worship to praise and exalt God for what He has done through Jesus Christ. And so when we come to John 4, verse 1 through 26, as He's talking to the Samaritan woman, He is going to direct her attention and at the same time direct ours. Now, I know that we are technically starting in verse 19, but it, the story is so captivating that we're going to start in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had learned that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, 
Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Jesus is still speaking to the woman at the well. He had to go to Samaria. He had to go and preach the gospel, and he is having this conversation with her. And as he has this conversation, this is the most extensive dialogue we have in the gospels where Jesus addresses worship. And so since he addresses it, we need to take some time to dig down into it. Now, before we get to spirit and truth, if you notice, there are some hindrances in this woman's life to authentic worship. So that's where we're going to start this morning. Hindrances to authentic worship. Notice that when she is confronted with her sin, she chooses to deflect. Last week we talked about this and and we discussed the many broken cisterns of of sin that is in the world. the, The broken cisterns that we create to fill our spiritual thirst. 
And then when usually when we are confronted with the truth, our, our first instinct is, is to look away, to try to get out of the conversation. Let's, let's turn the conversation. And as I was writing this, I decided I'm going to give that a name. And it, it comes from hiking, and it's called a switchback. For those who have been hiking, you know what a switchback is. If you've never been on a trail, I'll tell you what a switchback is. I guess it also applies to roads. A switchback is usually when you're going up a mountain and you're walking in one direction because the mountain is too steep to go straight up. You walk in one direction. This is really technical. You switch back and you walk in the other direction until, guess what you do again? You switch back. But I thought this was a great analogy, right? Because in a switchback, it's a 180 degree turn. The woman is talking. Jesus brings up her sin and says, "Mm, nope, let's go in a completely different direction. I don't want to discuss any of that. You brought up husbands. You brought up my sin. You know what? I would really like this morning as, as we're here at the well or I guess noon, I would really like for us to have a conversation about the theology of worship. Can we talk about that? Right? We, we, we want to change the topics. And sometimes we, we change the topic to something else that sounds spiritual because we want to overhear. We don't really want the answer. We just don't want to talk about what was originally brought up. She doesn't want to talk about her adultery. So let me throw out a diversion. Now, this is really interesting because I, I've said to you many times when you're talking to somebody about faith, they'll bring up what sounds what, what is a legitimate question, but in the context of, of witnessing to them, it's not legitimate. It's a diversion. And I've encouraged you, if that happens, to ask the question. If I can answer that question sufficiently, is that, is that what is preventing you from coming to faith in Christ? If the answer is yes, then engage in the conversation. Usually the answer is no. But I mentioned that because Jesus joins her on the switchback. Did, did, did you notice that? The conversation of adultery, it's not brought up again. Jesus just kind of lets it go. Now, Jesus has a, a insight that we don't, right? Remember the end of chapter 2, we're told that Jesus knows what is in man. So as Jesus is talking to her, he knows what is in her. And the fact that he joins her, there's got to be at least a small part that is genuinely curious. And Jesus is going to tease that out of her to bring her to a point of salvation. But he is going to talk to her about worship. Because she has some significant hindrances to authentic worship. In fact, all of the Samaritans did. So we need a a, a quick history lesson. Samaritans originally were Jews. Okay, If you go back when Israel enters the land after Exodus, the land is divided into 12 tribes, right? Each son of Israel gets a portion of the land. Flip to the back of your Bible one day and look, you've probably got a map that says the map and the 12 tribes of Israel. And when you look at that map, you're going to see an area that is given to the sons of Ephraim and Manasseh. In the Old Testament, it was their land. In the New Testament, that is what is known 
as Samaria. So how did we go from Ephraim and Manasseh to Samaria? Good question. After King Solomon's reign, Israel as a whole is divided into two nations, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Now what happens is in 722 B.C., Assyria invades Israel, northern part, not the whole, the northern, northern kingdom of Israel. When they invade, they take many Jews from Samaria captive back to Assyria, not all of them, and that's important. So they take captives away, and then they repopulate the area with people from around the Assyrian Empire. And so what happens? You have some Jews who remained in the land intermarrying with Assyrians, Persians, whoever the Assyrians brought into the land, which the intermarriage between Jews and foreigners was expressly forbidden. And so now when you have an ethnic Jew, let's just say marrying an ethnic Syrian, the, the child is half Jewish, half Assyrian, right? So that is why the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. They viewed them as this half-breed. They were kind of Jewish, but not thoroughly Jewish. And so those who were thoroughly Jewish looked down on the Samaritans. It also didn't help that as the Assyrians moved in, what, what else did they bring in with them? What do you think they brought in? All their false gods. So now the Samaritans are, are worshiping Yahweh and worshiping all these other false gods as well. Now, we do have to say this for the Samaritans. Eventually, they worship Yahweh alone, even to the point that they build a temple there in Samaria to worship. However, their worship was still not authentic because that background had many hindrances to them. And in fact, those hindrances can still impact our authentic worship today, right? I got three of them for you this morning. One is selectivity, right? Selectivity. Her question is, do we worship on this mountain or that mountain? And you're going, well, Gary, how is that selective? Well, it's selective because the Sumerians, Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That, that's it. They did not accept uh, the, the histories. They did not accept the wisdom literature. They did not accept the prophets. And so because they accepted the, only the first five books of the Bible, what they determined was this mountain, which is Mount Gerizim, is everywhere in the Pentateuch where they saw the mountain, it meant Mount Gerizim. And so every reference then was about Mount Gerizim. Now, they, they've got a little bit of... I mean, you, you can go back to Genesis. You know, Jacob, or excuse me, Abraham and, and Jacob built altars there in Shechem in, in the area. So, I mean, they're not totally in left field, but they can't then go, well, every place that says mountain means Mount Gerizim, which is what they did. And so in Deuteronomy, where they're, they're told to build an altar of worship, to, to worship God, which is actually Israel, or excuse me, actually Jerusalem. They said, no, 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 that's supposed to be Mount Gerizim. So they went out and built the temple. But, but they're wrong, right? 
They're wrong because they're selective in what they're reading. How does that impact us today? If we only read the parts that we like, I mean, the parts that make us feel good, we miss incredible truths of the Christian faith. We're being selective and we can't worship authentically because we're ignoring some aspects of God and His Word because we prefer the other aspects of God and His Word. I've said this before, and I'll remind you now. One of the reasons that we as a church... We study through the book of John. We start in John 1 and we continue on. It's because as we do that, it forces us to engage with all of God's Word. Right? I mean, you go back and you look through the years of, of, of what we preach and you notice that with a few rare instances, we don't just go to a random passage of Scripture every Sunday morning and start preaching. Right? We've been through Genesis. We've been through John. We've been through the Ten Commandments. We've been through Revelation twice inadvertently. Uh, we've been through Galatians. We've been through First and Second Thessalonians. We've been through First and Second Peter. We, we 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 spent how many weeks on Psalm nineteen? Going verse by verse through Scripture keeps us from being selective. Because otherwise, we're just going to go to the parts that we like. But we, we, we can't do that. Secondly is ignorance. Right? Because they did not accept the totality of Scripture, they were, they were ignorant. Now, I know ignorant is a hard word, right? Because that, that's derogatory now. If you're ignorant, it means you're stupid. No, it just means you don't know. I am ignorant of how to fly a helicopter. I just am. If there was one out back, I was like, hey, let's go fly the helicopter. And are, you, are you a pilot? Well, no, but I think I can. Are you getting the helicopter with me? No. Why? Because Gary is ignorant of how to fly a helicopter. It's not necessarily derogatory. But the Samaritans are ignorant. God looks, or Jesus looks at them and says, You don't know what you worship. You, you, you just you, you don't know. You worship what you do not know. They're, they're ignorant of the scriptures. And their ignorance is preventing her, in this case, from authentic worship. And we're going to touch on this more in just a minute, but our ignorance of God's word prevents us from worshiping God as well. If we don't know who God is, if we don't know what God says, we can't authentically worship Him. Because when we worship God the way we think He is, instead of who He actually is, it's not just that it's inauthentic, it's actually blasphemous. And so we can't be ignorant of God and His Word. But then lastly, superstitious. Any of y'all superstitious? I'm glad none of y'all raised your hand. All right, but we know all the superstitions, right? One in my family that my grandfather introduced me to, and we, we did pass it on to the kids, but in a very fun, this isn't superstition, this is just something fun to do. Who's ever heard the, the one that you don't actually give a knife to somebody? Who's heard that? I see a couple. Why? Do you know why? Why do you not give a knife to somebody? Because your mama said so. Why do you not give a knife, Justin? 
No, it's not that. The, the superstition is if I give a knife to you, that's going to cut our relationship. That's the superstition. So as a kid, when my grandfather's pocket knives got too old, or when he wanted a new one, whichever one it was, I got his old pocket knife. But the only way I got his old pocket knife was when he threw it in the yard and I found it. He never gave me his pocket knife. Now, we have a, a tradition in our house. Another way you could do it is you can buy it. A couple Christmases ago, Will gave me a really nice chef's knife. I had to pay a penny for the knife. I got a, I, it was a good deal. I mean, a penny for that knife, it, it, was a, it was a nice deal. I came out the winner on that deal, let me tell you. Right? We laugh. Yet, at the same time, if a ladder was leaning up against your house this afternoon, you would think twice before you walk underneath it. Which, honestly, isn't the safest thing to do because they may drop something on you. Right? We're superstitious. But that can impact our worship as well. It's impacting the Samaritans' worship because what they decided to do originally was just to throw Yahweh in there with all the other gods just in case. Right? And, and you see this today. Well, we'll take Jesus just in case all these others are wrong. I'm just going to cover my bases. Jesus is just going to be one of the others. Right? Superstitious. And there's Christian superstitions as well. Right? You've got to pray correctly. I gotta read my Bible so many hours a day. I gotta read the right Bible. I gotta highlight it the right way. I gotta say the right things, right? We don't want to use the word superstition, but that's what it is. Because what that says is if I rub the magical genie Jesus lamp, I get what I want. It, it doesn't work that way. Yes, please pray. Yes, please read your Bible. But don't do it because of a desire that it's just a superstition that it's going to make God do something for you. So all of these are hindrances to authentic worship. And Jesus points them out to her. And then He says to her, look, this, this is what authentic worship is. In verse 23, says you're, you're asking about worship. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So authentic worship then is driven by spirit. Verse 24, Jesus says to her, God is spirit. His essential nature is is spirit. God is not bound physically by place, by time, by material things, by, by a corporate body. God is spirit. And that, that is an emphatic statement. And because He is, that impacts how we worship. Because God is essentially spirit, our worship must be essentially spiritual. That's what Jesus says. It says, those who worship Him must. Must. It's not an option. Must worship in spirit. Now this gives way to a really good question. What spirit? Is this the Holy Spirit? Or is this our spirit? 
Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you can find godly, orthodox commentators and pastors on both sides of this conversation. Okay? I'm going to tell you, as I study, my interpretation and understanding is it is not the Holy Spirit, but is our spirit. And you go, okay, Gary, back that up. Why? Number one, when John talks about the Holy Spirit, he usually makes it pretty clear. You know John is referring to the Holy Spirit because the Spirit is doing something that we in and of ourselves cannot do. So John makes it clear for us. But secondly, notice the order, right? She asked him about location. Where do we worship? Jesus says, God is spirit. Those who worship him then will worship in spirit as well. Okay. If worship is dictated by location, then worship will also be dictated by physical presence. Does that make sense? The Jews were supposed to worship in the temple at Jerusalem. They could not offer a sacrifice somewhere else. Right? Now, if they were somewhere else, I know this sounds silly, they can't also offer a sacrifice at the temple. You can't be in two places at one time. Right? So, so if worship is dictated by location, it has to be dictated by physical presence. If that is true, then her question is a legitimate concern. Her question of, is it here or is it there, becomes one of critical importance because one then is right and by necessity the other is wrong. If it's supposed to be Gerizim and everybody in Jerusalem is worshiping there, it's wrong. If it's supposed to be Jerusalem and everybody is worshiping on Gerizim, it's wrong. So which one is it? Verse 21. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship. It's coming to be a time where physical location is not important. Now, the stunning part in that sentence is not in Jerusalem. That's, that's stunning. Because the Jews have been taught that there is a specific location for worship, and the specific location is in the temple with the priest. That is where you went to worship. And so Jesus is saying, hey, no, there's coming a time where, where it doesn't matter, but the hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. In spirit. And so Jesus is saying that worship then is driven, is a spirit-driven desire for us to worship. It's got to be driven from inside of us. We have to have the desire. There's got to be a, a part of our spirit that says, yes, I want to worship. Go to Matthew and, and you read against all the woes against the Pharisees, right? You, you look good, but your hearts are far from me. They look good externally. They were in the right location, but their spirit was nowhere to be found. Look at Jesus when He clears the temple at the beginning. He drives out the temple. They were in the right place and what? They were doing it wrong. Why? Because it's not about location. 
It's about our spirits seeking and worshiping God. And yes, absolutely, there there is an element. We pray for the Holy Spirit to lead us this morning into truth. He does that. At the same time, we are knitting our spirit together. We're saying we want to. There's a desire in us to worship God. And that's really important. You know why? Because this morning, you're 6,334.29 miles away from Jerusalem. And if Jerusalem, if worship was dependent on location, you're in the wrong place. The way that we can be here this morning to worship is because it is spiritual. It is our spirit. As, as Paul writes, Romans 12.1, present your bodies to God, which is your spiritual worship. It, it is spiritual in nature. So everything we have done this morning, your spirit should, should be worshiping. Did you, did you worship while we prayed? Were you worshiping while we were reading Scripture? Are, are, are you worshiping now as, as, as we're studying God's Word? Or have you zoned out and thinking, oh my goodness, He's never going to stop and lunch is soon. Too many of you laughed at that. That would have been a great time to be quiet. <laughs> right? And it's not even close to 12. See, authentic worship occurs when we worship from the very core of our being, which is our spirit. Authentic worship comes from within. But then authentic worship is defined by truth. This is the second element. Guys, we can't be ignorant. We can't be ignorant of what Scripture says. We just just can't. The world is ignorant enough of Scripture. Believers cannot be. And I'm, I'm going to split facts and truth for just a minute. Okay? We should factually know our Bible, the books of the Bible, the prophets, the disciples. You, you know, we should know what we would just quantify as, as, as facts. Right? And it's important that we know those facts because those facts then inform us of the truth of what Scripture has to say. We just we have to know it. We've got to know the facts and the truth of Scripture. And you see this sprinkled throughout Scripture. Right? Deuteronomy 6, the great schema. You study Word. When you get up, study God's Word. When you lie down, study God's Word. Teach it to your kids as they go in. Teach it to your kids as they come out. Psalm 1, the blessed man is who? The blessed man is the one who, who meditates on the word of the law, uh, the law of God day and night. Thinking. Luke tells us that when he writes his account of, uh, of Christ, he says, I write an orderly account so that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Paul to the Corinthians, I do not want you to be unaware concerning spiritual gifts. To the Thessalonians, I do not want you to be unaware concerning the second coming of Christ. Peter, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. All of those involve truth. Involve us knowing God's truth, what God's Word says, who God is, what salvation is. We have 
to know it. And as Baptists, we have hung our mantle on being people of the book for our entire existence. Right? We're, 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 we're people of the book. All truth, all authority, all sufficiency comes from God's Word. Now I know you, we don't today think of us as being very creedal people, Baptists, but historically we have been. Here's the Baptist Confession from 350 years ago. The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or the traditions of men. Everything is in Scripture. But it doesn't matter if everything is in Scripture if we don't know it. You've got to know it. Every year, the American Bible Society does a survey on the state of the Bible in the U.S. Every, every year. They just recently published the, the most recent one. When asked the question, what most closely describes what you believe about the Bible? Now, now, now this isn't necessarily... This is a general population survey. 27% responded, inspired word of God. If you're slow with math, that means 73% said it wasn't. It's just another book. When asked to agree with the statement, and this, this one is really important, okay? When asked to agree with the statement, the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life, 49% agreed. What's that say? It says the Bible isn't sufficient for life. One more stat. 2021, Pew Research found that 63% of Americans said that they were Christians. 29% it's inspired Word of God. 49% it's sufficient. 63% are Christians. You don't have to be a mathematical genius to figure out there's a problem with those numbers. Because what it says is there's a whole bunch of people over here who don't have a clue what they believe. More importantly, they don't know what truth the Bible teaches. How do you worship what you do not know? I mean, if you don't know what to believe, if you don't know why we believe, if you don't know why we worship, how, how can you come and worship? He looks at her and says, you worship what you do not know. You do not know. How do you know? Because we have, to we have to engage our brains in worship. We have to intellectually and, and critically engage with the Scriptures. I found this quote that I loved. It says, quote, A very great part of religious failure is due to nothing other than intellectual sloth. I'll translate that for you. A great part of religious failures is because people are lazy and won't think when engage their minds to discover the truth of God's Word. Worship is not mindless. Worship must be thoroughly grounded in God's divine revelation. We have to intellectually and mentally interact with God's Word. That is how we dive in and we discover and understand His truth. 
Now, Jesus makes something very clear as he's talking about this. It's the three-letter word that's in between spirit and truth. It's the word and. It is not an either-or proposition. You have to take both. Because worship in the spirit without truth is a frenetic emotional church with no anchor or guide. At the same time, truth without spirit is a cold, dead church with a lifeless orthodoxy and practice. The two go hand in hand. Jesus says authentic worship is worship in spirit and truth. And the only way to authentically worship in spirit and truth is by a response to salvation. Authentic worship is a response to salvation. Jesus says in verse 23, the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God, God is seeking, calling people to come worship Him in spirit and truth. And Jesus is looking at this woman as He is talking to her about worship. And He says to the woman, look, God is calling you to worship in spirit and truth. What does he say? He says he is calling what? True worshipers. True worship. How, how do you become a true worshiper? How does she become a true worshiper? By responding to who Jesus is. By res- responding to his invitation of, of repenting and coming to him for salvation, to find salvation, as John keeps saying, through him, in him, by him. She looks at Jesus and says, hey, hey, look, I, I know, I, I hear you, and I know the Messiah is coming. And when He comes, He's going to tell us all this stuff. Now, that's an interesting question. I know the Messiah is coming. He's going to tell us everything you just said. And then Jesus looks at her and says, you're, you're staring at Him. The, the Messiah is, is right in front of you. Jesus had to go to Samaria so that he can what? Seek the woman at the well to call her to be a true worshiper. And he's standing before her saying, look, I'm inviting you right now. I am seeking you right now to turn from your sins, to repent of your sins, to receive the truth of of who I am that I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and understanding then that salvation is not going to be found on the temple in Mount Gerizim, nor is it going to be found in a temple in, in Jerusalem. Instead, salvation is going to be found at the cross when I am lifted up for your sins. And I'm seeking you now to be that true worshiper. So that in a response to your salvation you can now worship me as a true believer and worship me in spirit and in truth. And that's the same call Jesus issues us today. The call to worship here in spirit and truth as a result of our salvation is still the correct response. It's still the correct and authentic way to worship. We worship this morning as a response to the great salvation which we have received. 
And as we do that, we worship in spirit and truth. Our our emotions are to be stirred, and at the same time, our minds are to be engaged. And we can do that this morning, 6,400 miles away from Jerusalem. Because as Jesus said, the hour is now here. For true believers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.